Good afternoon. This is Greg Lois. Today is May 26, 2020. And if you're joining me here today, it's to ask some questions about coronavirus and workers' compensation cases. Uh, today, we are going to be discussing uh, coronavirus. I'm going to be talking about what's new, what's going on in this jurisdiction, in particular New Jersey. But I'm also going to ask answer questions uh, about any other jurisdiction that we practice in, that would be New York or Longshore, or how this is affecting even our civil or subrogation claims. So please feel free to ask me as many questions as you want to. Uh, this is completely live, and I'm very happy to answer any questions that you have. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the jurisdictional standards of proof. I'm going to focus on New Jersey because today is the day we do our normal New Jersey workers' compensation webinar. I'm going to talk just very briefly about what's going on um, in New Jersey, what's new, uh, and what we expect to have happen, particularly with the legislation that's now pending in the New Jersey State Assembly. Um, I just want to remind everyone that uh, where we are today uh, is changing. So today is May 26. It's the day after Memorial Day. Uh, and almost every week we're getting a new announcement from the court system about when they're going to reopen. Uh, my firm, 100% open, uh, 30 attorneys. We are currently appearing virtually throughout the state of New York. No problemo. Uh, New Jersey is doing teleconference and very, very, very limited hearings going on in New Jersey workers' compensation courts. Uh, the statewide, we're still under this uh, strange non-essential businesses can open, but with strange social distancing or panic rules that are in, in effect. Uh, so you, we are seeing very, very limited uh, openings of businesses. Things like restaurants, for example, are still closed. Uh, workers' comp hearings in this jurisdiction in New Jersey are, are essentially closed until June 8th. No petitioners, no claimants can go to court. Uh, the courts are still calling lists. So the judges are still uh, going through the daily cases and taking pre-hearing and uh, pre-conference markings uh, in cases, but really there's not a lot of movement going on in the court system. Uh, in the civil system, uh, even though the Constitution guarantees you a right to speedy trial, uh, our courts are not holding jury trials. Uh, only municipal courts are having some hearings, and they're only having hearings really when you can be sent to jail. So again, very limited proceedings going on in the state of New Jersey. And contrast that with New York, where really the workers' compensation system has not even missed a beat. Um, we haven't missed a single hearing in New York because the virtual hearing process just became mandatory in all hearings. So uh, very different. Um, I'm going to try to answer as many of your questions as you bring to me today. Uh, please type them in now. I'm going to go through my prepared remarks uh, very quickly. If you type in your questions, I will answer them at the uh, end of my prepared remarks. Again, I, I only plan on talking for five or six minutes just to go over the very basics. And if you have a question, type it in now so that when I get to the question and answer session, I've got a couple good questions to answer. I'm really looking forward to hearing what you've uh, got for me. Uh, if you're watching this, you know that we uh, hand out uh, hand out uh, handbooks to all the jurisdictions we practice in. New this year is the Construction Defense Handbook, which is written by my partner, Tashia Razul. If you don't have a copy of that, uh, please let us know. And if you're here today, it's because uh, you're part of the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Webinar Series. We're going to focus on COVID-19. And again, I'll answer questions about anything jurisdictionally. But just know that on the Mondays of each month, uh, we focus on a different topic, all touching subrogation, reimbursement, or workers' compensation defense. All right, a little bit of background. 
Uh, first, uh, the number one question I've been getting has been things about safety measures and these quarantines. Uh, obviously, they're not quarantines, right? And a quarantine is not a self-imposed isolation. It is where you are literally quarantined somewhere and you can't leave. Uh, so these are these sort of shelter-in-place rules that we're going through. These lockdowns are not true quarantines, but none of this is compensable. Uh, in the beginning, there was uh, some very bad advice given in New Jersey by some of the defense practitioners who were telling their clients things like, if you're closing a location because it's been deemed non-essential, you now owe temporary disability or unemployment. Or, no, that, the answer to that is no, and that's not compensable under workers' compensation. Um, let's just remember that work closures by executive orders are not, not quarantines, uh, as that is defined by statute. It's just an executive order. That's just the government basically doing a taking on uh, closing people's business down. Work closures are a basis for unemployment claims and not generally workers' compensation claims. All right. Uh, there are a lot of other programs, and particularly in New Jersey, which passed a number of laws uh, expanding benefits and programs to people who are out of work. And the number one is that they do get mandatory sick leave in New Jersey. Uh, we know that almost everyone who gets coronavirus COVID-19, uh, our SARS-CoV-2, is fine within two weeks. And so for most people, uh, their sick leave will cover uh, the amount of uh, leave they're going to be experiencing. After that, uh, if it's going to be extended uh, beyond just a few weeks, they will qualify for state temporary disability. And it really is going to fall to the employee to see whether state temporary disability or any private plan that maybe they're paying into is going to be the best for them in terms of financially the best for them. Um, New Jersey also has uh, required family leave insurance, which would be insurance that covers you to take care of a sick family member, et cetera. Uh, to qualify for either temporary disability or family leave insurance, you have to work for at least 20 weeks. Uh, so, uh, you know, some people may not qualify that just based on having a job for a short period of time. All right, what about people who are not sick, but their work is closed uh, due to an executive order? Uh, again, you can take your five days of paid sick leave, uh, and then after that, you're done. Uh, you know, you could, if, you're, if your employment is voluntarily closed, uh, guess what? You qualify for unemployment. Right now, my understanding is approximately one in eight people in New Jersey is collecting unemployment. We have a million people out of work, and that would include everyone who's working in restaurants, bars, seasonal workers, anybody who's working in amusements, which we have a lot of them, everybody down the shore. I mean, it's really uh, ridiculous the amount of people who have been thrown out of work by these orders. Um, let's quickly talk about uh, the difference between traumatic and occupational claims. I I've seen a mixture in the COVID-19 claims that we're currently defending uh, between traumatic, alleged traumatic incidents and occupational. So let's talk briefly what a traumatic is. And that is a specific discrete injury leading to an infection. In order to be successful with this claim, really the petitioner is going to have to be saying, hey, look, here's how I specifically got this infection. I went to work. I was dealing with someone who is COVID-19 positive. There was an exchange of bodily fluids or my PPE was ripped off in a, in a fight and I somehow got infected. And then I immediately tested positive and got a fever within 24 hours. So again, very strange, uh, very specific uh, statements would have to be brought forward uh, in order to support these traumatic claims. The exception to that, of course, is first responders. And then New, New Jersey defines that very liberally to even include volunteers, et cetera. Uh, first responders are entitled to a presumption that if they are dealing with someone who is infected with a communicable disease, that then uh, any claim that they have would be deemed compensable. So that's a little bit difference. Um, now, there's a lot of specific incident case law in New Jersey that we could talk about, and I'm very happy to answer specific questions. 
about these discrete traumatic accidents. But again, in these cases, the burden is on the claimant to tell us exactly the facts that led to their alleged infection. Now, the second type of claim that we're seeing is the occupational exposure claim. And this is for someone who's allegedly saying, hey, I, I was exposed to something in my workplace. There's something peculiar and unique about my workplace. And because I work in this workplace, I now have developed this occupational condition. Now, typically we see these in the context of someone who says they work in a very loud or noisy factory and now they've developed uh, a specific type of sensor neural hearing loss. And they say, well, you know, you've got all these loud machinery and I've worked there for 20 years and now I have this very specific hearing loss. And they can point to something peculiar or distinct to that employment, and that would be that loud noise that led to the actual injury. And those, those things are causally related. There's something specific there. There's nothing specific, unique, or peculiar to any one workplace, with the exception of perhaps maybe a bioweapons lab or an infectious disease testing facility that's more or less likely to expose someone to coronavirus or COVID-19. Let me repeat that because I think it's very important. Uh, some of the recent science we've seen shows that people who, who have allegedly been self-isolating, two-thirds of them are demonstrating some immunity or some type of immune response uh, to the COVID-19 test assays. Which really means whether you're going to work or not, it seems about two-thirds of the people who have this thing are, are going to have it anyway. And I think that really destroys or undermines this alleged occupational exposure argument. People are saying, well, I go to work and I'm around other people and somebody else has a communicable disease and now I have it. Uh, ergo, it's related to the employment, uh, which would be the claim. Uh, in general, under New Jersey's workers' compensation law, infectious diseases, uh, while they could be compensable, in general, communicable diseases are not and so our advice, and whether it's a traumatic case or an occupational exposure claim, is to be disputing these cases because really the burden should be on the claimant to prove otherwise. Now, uh, entertainingly, uh, I'm going to skip this because I already talked about New Jersey's first responders, but yes, they are entitled to a presumption. Um, New Jersey uh, is uh, has a bill pending in the assembly. It's Bill A3999, uh, A3999, pending in the New Jersey Assembly, which would make all COVID-19 cases presumed compensable if the claimant uh, fell into one of very specific categories. And of course, they define the categories in the statute, the proposed statute, uh, but then they actually add an additional category, which is any essential worker. So essentially anybody who's reported to work, uh, who has been required to go to work, and uh, many of us have been deemed essential, somehow they discovered that law firms are essential employ uh, employers, any claim for coronavirus would be presumed compensable. And the employer would have a rebuttable presumption they would have to overcome. Uh, so it would really sort of shift the standard uh, and give everybody in any industry that same presumptive standard that the first responders are getting. Uh, now, that did pass in the Senate. Uh, it passed uh, about two weeks ago in the New Jersey State Senate, and it then goes to the Assembly. It is currently still in the Assembly, and as I talk to you today on May 26th, the day after Memorial Day, it is currently in the Assembly Labor Committee. The next steps would be for the Labor Committee to refer it out to an Assembly vote. If the Assembly votes in favor of it, and by the way, it did pass 27 to 10 in the New Jersey State Senate, I would expect Governor Murphy, because he's a silly heart, to sign the legislation pretty much immediately. So uh, as soon as that legislation gets signed, we'll let you know. And I, I believe that would make New Jersey only the second state in the country which would find COVID-19 claims presumed compensable. I believe Illinois already passed that, 
although my understanding is that has now been hung up in the courts uh, as potentially unconstitutional. So uh, when claims are made, we are telling our clients essentially to dispute them. Almost none of these COVID-19 cases should ultimately be found compensable. Uh, we have published on our website a series of questions, and I can provide them to anybody watching today, uh, that they should be doing when you're doing your investigation into these cases. We have a list of questions to ask the claimant. We have a list of questions to ask the insured or the employer uh, about the workplace and about uh, uh, how the disease may or may not have been contracted. But our belief is that uh, the majority of these cases will not be found compensable. All right, uh, I've talked for about 10 minutes here, and I'm hoping there's lots of great questions. If you haven't typed your questions in yet, please type them in now. Questions make this so much more fun. So I'm hoping I have a good, a, a good group of questions here today. Let's see. Oh, come on, people. You're letting me down. We've got a lot of viewers today, and I'm not seeing any good any questions at all pop up. Come on. I'll give you a, a second. I'll, I'll, I'll vamp a little bit while I wait maybe for a couple good questions. Someone throw me a bone here. Um, I know that this topic has been talked to death, but I'm still getting questions on it every week from our clients, and I'm always happy to answer those, whether you email me or call me. I'm trying to give everyone our best advice, but I thought... Uh, having another webinar and talking about coronavirus again would give people an opportunity to sort of ask some questions. And sometimes it's useful to listen to the questions that other people are asking of counsel and sort of hear our answers and sort of help each other out. So again, I'm hoping that uh, there's a couple in here. Uh, and still, I got zero. So maybe there's something broken in our question pane, which I think would be really sad. Uh, or maybe uh, ever this topic is, is maybe... You got it. You, you don't need any sort of advice on it. Uh, I don't know. All right. I'm going to give it one more try. I'll try opening up the panel one more time. Well, if you're if you're typing in questions, I don't see them. So I'm typing into the chat. Hello? Questions? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Are you there? Uh, still nothing. All right. Well... What are you going to do? Uh, zero questions. All right. I give up, everybody. Uh, okay. If you had a question and maybe you were trying to type it in, oh, here we go. Bonnie asked the question. Uh, carriers are requiring us or asking us to report all positive coronavirus COVID-19 cases without the employer vetting them. What is your opinion? All right, so in general, uh, our advice to clients have been, really, there's not really a great reason to report COVID-19 or coronavirus claims to your carrier, just like you wouldn't report anything else that is clearly not work-related. Uh, so in general, things like, hey, we've got a guy who had bronchitis. He was out for a week with bronchitis, or I've got someone with male pattern baldness, or I've got someone with halitosis. Those are not things you would typically report to your workers' compensation carrier because I think we generally understand these things are not compensable. I think that there is some uncertainty, uh, particularly in the larger community, about, hey, are these things going to be found compensable? Are they going to change the law? Are there certain areas or certain employers that are seeing a huge uptick of these things, and why would that be? And so for that reason, I do understand why carriers are asking their employers or their insureds to report these in, 
I think we're all trying to get a sense of of what's going on out there and also trying to get a sense of, hey, uh, if these things are found compensable, if they change the law like we anticipate they're going to do in New Jersey, make them all compensable, well, then they probably would want to have all those first reports because here's an example of the legislature carving out an exception to the general rule that communicable disease are not compensable. Uh, so I can see that's why I think they're doing it. Uh, but in general, uh, we won't be reporting those uh, we don't really report non-workers' compensation-related injuries to the, or illnesses or sicknesses or infections uh, to our carriers, just in general. Um, all right, and Bonnie goes on to add, uh, these are for healthcare facilities, both whose employees drive and take public transportation to work. Right, and you know that's another interesting thing, and we've sort of seen that. It's really been my healthcare employers and, and those who are providing services to healthcare facilities that have been expecting these giant waves of COVID-19 claims. I'm not certain if they're actually materializing or not, and certainly they're not materializing evenly uh, at all. Uh, but I do understand why the carriers are kind of making this request. Uh, now, the danger is, of course, is this going to affect anybody's experience or modification? Well, probably not. No claim ever emerges, and these things are not found to be compensable. It's just an unnecessary first report. And so for that reason, I see why they're asking you to do it. All right, I thank Bonnie for uh, asking me those questions. Uh, Amanda asked the question, Greg, following up on that response, once the bill A3999 passes, won't the positive COVID cases have to be reported on at that point? Yes, yes, because at that point, there will be a rebuttable presumption that these cases are going to be pretty much across the board compensable. Uh, and at that point, yes, you will have a duty to respond that or report that to your carrier. So I think that's a good question. Um, right now, we don't know. Jill asked the question, Greg, when do you think that bill will pass? I thought it was going to pass last week. In fact, uh, sort of my intelligence from the uh, the actual committee and the person drafting the bill is they expected it to pass last week as well. Uh, the New Jersey legislature is now meeting via Zoom, uh, which I guess means the Chinese government is monitoring all of their communications because I don't think that Zoom is very secure, but that's how they've been passing legislation. This passed in the Senate on May 4th. It immediately then goes to the Assembly. When it got to the Assembly, uh, the Assembly referred it to their Labor Committee. It had already been uh, reviewed and vetted by the Senate Labor Committee, and then passed by the Senate, again, 27 to 10. It's now before the Assembly. I really don't see a barrier to this thing passing in the Assembly. Uh, New Jersey is a through-and-through -through Democrat blue state, so they can pass whatever they want, and then the governor is a Democrat, and this is essentially going to be a giveaway as far as the governor is concerned. He doesn't really care about business, in my opinion, and so he's going to basically pass this. Uh, I would expect him to sign it pretty much immediately. So... There we go. Uh, Jill says, do you think it'll pass? It seems very extreme. And the answer is, yeah, I think it's going to pass uh, uh, eventually. That seems to be what uh, my little birdies are telling me in the legislature right now. All right. Uh, all right. So Bonnie then asks some follow-up questions really about experience modification. Who ends up paying for the claim costs? And that's why, in general, we don't report unrelated or non-workers compensation related injuries, infections, or illnesses to our carrier. There will be some associated claim costs, and of course, we wouldn't want that to affect our experience or modification factors. And those are the reasons why we don't report, hey, guess what, Timmy uh, got in an injury skiing over the weekend. Just not something you'd ever report to your comp carrier because it's never going to be found compensable. So that's the general reason why we don't do it. 
Uh, Bob asked the question, do you foresee a separate workers' compensation system set up to handle uh, the COVID litigation? Uh, right now, no, because there hasn't been a bunch of it. Um, you know, this is not like Deepwater Horizon. Uh, where they set aside a giant federal fund to pay for this. Uh, this is not like the 9-11 fund or the 9-11 uh, World Trade Center Health uh, Program, where they're setting up entirely new uh, funds to pay for all this. Right now, these cases are not compensable. Frankly, they shouldn't be under either New York or New Jersey law. Uh, both laws contain clear provisions stating that general communicable diseases uh, out in the general population are not compensable. Both states have uh, at least 100 years of case law finding that communicable disease uh, is not compensable. Uh, for example, this is not the first time a communicable disease has emerged. Uh, measles, smallpox, tuberculosis, etc. I can, I can uh, cite case law to you where general allegations that I caught tuberculosis at work, general allegations that I caught measles at work have all failed, and there's lots of case law on that. Uh, unless the claimant or the petitioner, depending on which state you're in, can show some very specific, discrete, traumatic incident in which they were in, uh, exposed to that infectious agent, those cases should never be found compensable. And so for that reason, uh, you know, right now there's no need, Bob, to set up a separate system for this. Uh, the cases do not seem to be uh, that voluminous. Uh, again, the majority of people that are working age are going to recover. Uh, you know, if you look at the statistics on mortality, Really, if you're under the age of 60, there's almost no chance this is going to kill you. Yeah, it'll take you out of work for a couple of weeks. You'll be pretty sick, and it's uncomfortable, but you know most people are recovering. So, uh, okay. Uh, Suzanne uh, asked the question, do you anticipate PTSD claims tied to coronavirus exposure or potential exposure for healthcare workers with changes in the law? Well, right now I already am defending PTSD claims and anxiety claims uh, for people. And by the way, uh, they aren't even—they're not even COVID-19 positive. So I've got cases I'm defending for people in the retail space uh, who are saying, "I am too scared to go to work. I've developed anxiety. I can't sleep, can't eat." You know, they've got uh, physical symptomatology from a purely, allegedly mental injury. They're just fearful of potentially contracting coronavirus. Uh, they're not going to work, and they filed workers' compensation claims. We're currently defending those. And that's the pernicious side of this that I want us all to be very thoughtful about. You know, uh, the claimant's bar, the plaintiff's bar, is very excited about the idea of making these presumed compensable. And it's not because they're worried about the two weeks of lost time for the majority of workers. It's because they're looking down the road and they're saying to themselves, well, I'm going to probably have a good anxiety claim from this. I'm probably going to have a good PTSD claim from this. So that's where I actually see the exposure coming uh, from a change in the law. Um, and Suzanne asked, do you see this as uh, the potential exposure for healthcare workers? Sure. But I think anybody who is going to be exposed to the general public and, and really any retail employee, any bar employee, restaurant employee, um, and any state or municipal worker who's in any way exposed to the public, and then certainly any healthcare worker, once if these claims are deemed compensable, why wouldn't they make an anxiety or PTSD claim? I mean, I, I would anticipate that to just absolutely flower. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think that's the last question we got. Uh, I'm really grateful that there were questions. It makes it a lot more fun. I, there might have been a little bit of a hiccup in typing them in in the beginning, but uh, they did come in. So that's great. Uh, next week, Monday, we're going to be talking about construction defense and coordinating counsel. 
uh, between the civil and the workers' compensation sides of the house, so please join me. My partner, Tishia Razul, will be presenting that uh, webinar, so please join us on Monday. I hope everybody is safe. hope everybody had a great Memorial Day weekend, and I'll see you real soon.